Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. Well, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Most of you will know this off by heart. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The absolute sheer joy of that scripture should never be lost. The barrier between us and God totally eradicated. Proximity to the great force of his glory. And how he allows us to go up these steps of incremental weight of all that he is. It is one of those pivotal revelation verses in our canon of scripture. I think it's often quoted that we go from one degree, certainly in our house, maybe in yours as well, that we go from glory to glory. And I do think we rightly apply that to our individual journeys. Deepening intimacy, deepening uh, of transformation is crucial that I can run with greater uh, certainty and boldness before the throne of grace. But here is the rub. I think we are so used to reading scripture through the Greek lens, Western mindset, Western thinking, that when we read that, we see it only as valuable in how it might personally make me feel better. The selfish eyes of the Bill of Rights styled Greek thinkers, it's all about me. And because we have no word really for you being plural, usens if you're from Ulster, or y'all if you're American, we would never read that verse with any collective imperative. So we do not read it as you, you all collectively stand before me as my people and I take you together through significant measurable metamorphosis. You are together transfigured where even your physical form takes on more of my nature and as a body of believers people can see that my glory has met you. You are collectively changed from one form to another in your beholding and reflecting of me. You all as one go through powerful seismic jumps of significant collective transformation. I actually think that's closer to what that verse is saying. It is God grabbing hold of entire churches, of entire peoples who are together and saying, now here is a level of my glory. So I say this, why? Can we have a moment of that irritating prophet honesty? Thank you, my staff. 
two of them over there. When did we collectively, measurably change from one form to another in miraculous metamorphosis? Is that the last time we did it? Dear Jesus, did you hear what he said when Jesus sat down the right hand of God the Father? Was that the last time? We hope not. I actually believe this, that we have spoken of one degree of glory, but we have been slightly duped and tricked in that we actually, as a body of believers, have not moved up a level of glory for longer than a generation. That should be quite sobering. And that we are doing an actually brilliant job of maximizing what God had given us in his previous moves, probably with John and Carol on Toronto. We probably have maximized all that was handed out in that level of glory. And what we're trying to do right now is facelift that level of glory. Now we'll take it because we quite enjoyed it. But most of us live or the church lives with a degree of impeded spiritual vision. So beholding which comes before the glory transformation is not our normal. And I heard the spirit of the Lord say, this is a day where he will say away with the veils, away with the eyes that cannot see, away says the Lord, get it off you, get it off you, get it off you by putting your hands on your eyes and pulling off everything that you have partnered with that is a hindrance to spiritual sight and here is my great joy tonight the Lord says there is an incoming level of corporate glory that will strike and mark the church It will be a level of glory that is coming even right here. There is some of the substance of it in the room that will enable such a radical victory, says the Lord. It will enable the true fullness of the tearing down of principalities. Yay! Sometimes it requires the determination of a prophet to say, this is what God is now doing here, now, in your midst. Collective glory. And that means no longer will it just be one or two who run. It will be the movement of the many because they will collectively resemble and reflect a metamorphosis transformation that only comes because God says no in the midst of his people. Now, some of you who listen to me know that I spend a lot of my time in in the map room of heaven. I love cartography, love maps, spend as many days as I can in the spirit there, zooming around. And there are maps of the world. Um, Well, this is how I see it. Just to one side 
of a room that there is a throne in, one of God's many thrones. Uh, The Bible doesn't actually tell us specifically where the throne room of God is. It's not in third heaven. Please don't be that daft. Because Paul actually doesn't, he says, I'm not allowed to tell you what's in third heaven. So why we assume it's there (laughs) is our foolish reading of scripture. Anyway, that's not the point. So I spent a lot of time in a map room where they're constantly, the the nations of the world are constantly monitored by the uh, archangels and some of the spiritual warfare strategists in the heavenly realms. And I saw a number of you being pulled up to that place where you are participating in a level of uh, strategic spiritual warfare with the military might of heaven and you were working there, not pitting nation against nation, but standing, commanding with a level of glory that radically pushed back every demon and every plan of darkness. There was a spiritual awareness and a mantling for war that will only come with a level of glory on you. And in this house, the Lord says, you will have a map war room as well. And you will sit with your hands on the maps of the world. And as it is in the heavenly realms, so it will be in this house. And you will meet together and you will be renamed by onlookers as the shaking church as you shake again and tremble in reflection as conduits of the glory of God and as those God trusts with a responsibility for the boundaries of where the principalities and powers are allowed to be over England. You see, for so long we just let things happen. We're kind of shocked if we can do a personal exorcism and yet the word of the Lord is you are to wrestle against principalities and powers you are supposed to take on the big guns and as I sat as our dear friend um, was preaching this afternoon I felt like I was sitting in a room of the blood of Jesus now, just I'm a prophet and you, we do see some things some peculiar ways. The blood was like running. Uh, initially, I actually had to, to kind of um, uh, squint and take my glasses off because I thought, is that, bl- is that back wall got a red light on it? Is that got a moving image on it? And then I, in the natural, I'm going, no, no, that back wall is blue. But in Say this, you can appropriate now the not a refreshing of your salvation, but a fresh understanding that is coming to you of everywhere in the room. And the Lord calls this your glory bright. And the Spirit of the Lord says this, I am moving your keys here to into your house power and authority that few ever prince of greece just as they understand of the demons and you are going to push them back and you will see harvest 
You are the ones who will do war with the enemy over maps of. Have some things come into being. The Lord is saying it is the beginning season. He's saying this, I have to be clear, in about runners, there is a fresh beginning capability to begin to speak in a new way, to begin was only a thought, a prophetic specifically is going to build this city. And literally the Lord is going to give you contracts with building companies standard housing blocks and you will run a test case that I put into your hands that you will have a mantle in this house for beginning to build a for they know they have to leave a legacy and the Lord says it is thought but you never knew how to manifest it as a reality can I say Anna I can see this has been a dream if you reach up and you grab I will give you starting capabilities I will set some things in motion and I am putting on those in the room who want it a fresh initiating capability once again in the house of God knowing what it means to begin Now, we know we're in days of great disorientation, and I'll talk about that in a a moment. But I do believe that there is a thank you that God is bringing for the yeses that your yes has cost you. There will be a marked difference come between a new breed of trailblazers who lead on fire. They're the people who are first to do something. Momentum that even if they wanted to, from failures and setbacks. Now the Lord said this, the trailblazers have wrongly got too tied that the trailblazer has already gone into. And there was something that the Lord was saying actually right across the British Isles. We tend to use the word British Isles because it captures all of the land mass of Ireland. Um, so there is something that happened in the rises in the midst of you. And the Lord says, if you will turn that to me, rather than turn that to criticism or roast preacher for Sunday lunch, the Lord says, I will harness that indignation to allow you to move again at the pace of the spirit. It's not, I don't think me shouting no more delay because that's a slightly different warfare, although Ezekiel does mention that. But I do believe this is actually the remantling and the putting on again of the function of the trailblazer and the function of the pioneer. You can lift that mantle off oh so easily. And you can dull down what what manner of man and woman you are actually called to be. And the Lord says this. 
The trailblazers and the pioneers must now say that they will no longer feel guilty for how some things went yesterday. What looked like a car crash must be learnt from and laid down. You must not rehash your history in error. You must not feel guilty for what was not your responsibility. You must not be butt-impressed by your history and unable to spring into full trailblazing form. You must make a decree that says, no longer will I settle into the early adopters category when I was made to blaze a trail. And the Spirit of the Lord says, it is a day to be reinvigorated in the core of your function that God has given you. Now, that's massive. What we are seeing with the prophets, heads up prophets, prophetic types, is there is a blanket, a muffling blanket coming on you where there is this sense of, can we just play nice? Can you just speak harmony? Can you just speak something that doesn't ever bring a challenge? Can you just massage our ego? And can you just make us all feel good for a moment? And because what the prophets ate depended on their itineration, um, wrongly probably, and the sense that if I say the thing that people want to hear, I'll get a decent offering. It has lied to us about what prophecy and what trailblazers and key apostles should be doing in the nations at this time. This is not a movement of harmony. (laughs) This is a moment of redemption. It's a moment of the redemption of nations and the redemption of your call. And who knows that when Jesus turned the tables over, that was a moment of redemption. Who knows that when Isaiah says to Hezekiah, you will die, that was a redemptive word because it provoked him to repent, to live for another 15 years years. And so I believe that the swords are being put back in the prophet, the apostle, the leaders, the trailblazers hands so that they can say, we are not going to do things as we used to do them, but there are now some things that need to go at pace and be overturned. Not It's not about being rude. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but it is about the weight of the function of the pioneer near coming back who will not negotiate come on but will only settle for the fullness of what God has shown them and the Lord says there is a negotiation diplomatic spirit on apostles and prophets that you will need to be careful that you pull it off yourself so that rather than leading, you are actually in round table meetings where you're begging and pleading rather than being the Deborah that it says, when I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel and suddenly the leader remembering who they are enabled the following of the rest of the nation. 
I do think as well as that mantle, some of you can feel it, I can feel it very heavily in the room, the weight of the remantling of the trailblazer and the weight of the remantling of the pioneer. I am loving being with you because not everywhere is this receptive. Can we just have a moment of your brilliance? And, and the sense of, and I said, I actually called my husband this afternoon. I said, I felt quite happy with that. And he says, you never say that. You never feel happy with that. And I'm like, I know. He said, what was the difference? I said, they honored and when they honor, it gives God the space to set something on their shoulders. Something remarkable is happening in your midst. Whew. It is, however, a wrestling season. And this is the flip side of that glory metamorphosis and all the things that I've just prophesied about blood and greening and all of that. It's a wrestling season. It is a time to enter the boxing ring. It is a time to stand on the wrestling mat. And it is a time to start to grapple. But can I say, not in any ways you have previously done. Now, we've been around the, the block. And we've understood that every decade you hit the year of the door. We've heard a fair few sermons. I remember 10 years ago, uh, whenever we were all preaching about doors and we all had our version of it. And here we are again, another year of the door. And normally, um, the scripture that is most quoted is 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me and at it there are many adversaries. So you and I have got used to this thought, new season, big door, tough wrestle, demons. Yes? That's, and that's true. But I really felt the Lord say, this is not the demon busting that you've got used to. This is not the understanding that maybe you're a bit comfortable and a bit fat and a bit flabby. So actually a good dose of spiritual warfare will really help you get spiritually lean. So you, you get fit at the effectual door by knocking out the enemy and then you advance with great strength because you've learned your authority. It is not that sort of door. Now, by all means, you'll do a lot of spiritual warfare. But the Lord said this to me. You are now here at the door of Jacob. And it's a style of wrestle that is between you and God, not you and Satan. Because what you now need is in the hands of God and not in the hands of a demon. You will need to wrestle God to fully apprehend the level of the kingdom and the level of glory he wants to give you. And wrestling God means that you and he are going to be very close proximity where you are about to learn a lot about yourself and you're going to be marked by your grapple with the divine. Now, when you and I, and I spend my life doing it, you, when you wrestle the demonic, uh, you learn your own delegated authority, Yes. You learn that the demons fear your name. You understand your position above them. But something totally different happens when you wrestle God. 
You understand your absolute need for him. You understand that your work ethic cannot get you into fullness. You come to understand your position below him as the supreme provider. So fighting demons will teach you how to use a sword and how hungry you are for victory. But fighting God teaches you where blessings come from and how hungry you are for glory. You can secure a victory in a wrestle with Satan. Yes? You can secure a victory with a wrestle with Satan. You can only secure a blessing in a wrestle with God. This is massive. It is also slightly terrifying. I get that. God is humble and he is awesome. And he is humble to go to the cross, but he's awesome enough to save you. He is humble enough to let Abraham chat him down over the numbers required to save Sodom and Gomorrah. But he is awesome enough to bring forth the necessary judgment. He is humble enough to ride a donkey and suffer the questions of Pontius Pilate. He is actually humble enough to wrestle Jacob and you. But he is awesome enough to bless your determination. And I want to say, God... How on earth do you ever permit yourself to be wrestled with? Why would you let that happen? And the concept of Jacob and God covered in the dirt and the mud wrestling in the dark, their bodies wrapped together in a dust storm that you create by your need to be blessed is truly mind-blowing. And the Lord says that sometimes your dissatisfaction and the raising again of your trailblazing spirit will lead you to a place of a wrestle in this in a sandstorm of hours of unceasing exertion where you feel physically debilitated but irrespective of what is going on in your physical frame and emotions, you have resolved to not be denied of the thing that you need, of the thing that your nation needs, of the thing that the people that you lead need. And you will not let go of God until he opens his awesome hand and says it's yours. Genesis 32, you know the story, it's the Jacob story. And he's on his way back home to Canaan and he's got his small tribe of wives, his children. He's been 20 years away, 20 years away. He says words of knowledge and basic level, you know, prophetic instinct that has enabled him to know when to go and how to get all the best sheep and goats. Do you remember the word of knowledge about the mandrakes? So he's ticked a lot of dependency boxes on God. But here he is, and he's scared to death about his future. Because he's about to meet his brother Esau. And this is a 20-year hiatus from a defunct 
malfunctioning relationship. This is not a family welcoming party. Jacob is about to run in to an army. He cannot go back to where he has been. Anybody like that? I just couldn't go back. I couldn't go back. Anybody waving at me for that? I can't go back. I've got this moment of time and in a night where he is dreading the future, he's uncertain how it will turn out. His only option is to wrestle God. To wrestle and win. You've got to know it's not a sign of your greatness. It's a sign of his pleasure to see you so desperate, to acknowledge him as the source. And the Lord is saying, and boy, do I wish, because I'm living this right now. You watch my social media posts. Boy, I wish there was another way to enter the season of glory that is hanging above our heads. I would rather put on the armor of God and kill some demons. I do that happily for breakfast. The Irish like to fight. (laughs) But to wrestle God is a completely different call. And it grows something in you that cannot be grown any other way. Where you start to say, I will not let go. 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 My sleep might be all over the place, but I will not let go. I will grapple and I will fight and I will contend for the glory that you have said is possible in this season. I will grab hold of you. I will even use your name before you, God, because I will say to you, you told me, you said, God, therefore I am not here like a petulant spoiled brat child but I am here because you gave me hope and you said one day and I will revisit the words that you said and I don't mind if I limp physically weaker into my future but I will have acquired a level of faith that few ever do and I will cling to what only you can do God as we go to face the army. And I think it's a moment where you think this, God, I think it's time to pay somebody to be nice to me. Anybody done that? Thought about it? Thought about it. But in the very moment, you want comfort, you want assurance. At the very time you think, I'd love a kind word. God, I'd love a wee bit of a tender hand. God says, no, you approach me and you wrestle so that you don't enter a season feeling gently reassured. What good is beginning a season feeling gently reassured? You enter a season marked by faith and a certainty of glory because you chose a determined struggle with God. You met his humble awesomeness and he allowed you the wrestle and you got profoundly trusted by him. 
So when Hosea 12 is retelling the Genesis story, Hosea paints it as equally bleak, you know. Uh, speaks of Jacob weeping and pleading and begging for favor, apprehensive of the majesty with which he wrestled, tears in his eyes, knowing that this was the only way he would obtain what he needed. And so we are in this season, I think, not just of the wrestle with God, but where God says, show me how desperate you are and I'll let you win. Show me how desperate you are and I'll let you win. That is why we're talking these days about pilgrimage. That's one of the key words of the moment, Psalm 84, that I read to you earlier. This need for the desperation of the people of God to arise and the need, O oh England, for you to deal with any emotional numbness and shutdownness that you have as a community standard, that you start to say, I need to start to care again deeply and I lost that ability and I'm putting in time and although I'm going through the right motion, something in my heart is nominal or something in my heart is stone. And David said to me, what's their worship like? I said, actually, it's marvelous. And we're just assessing you privately on the phone. Now not so private. I said, they're exactly the same as us. Few people super poured out, the rest standing with their hands in their pockets at the back. And we went, oh, that's fairly standard. Same my church, same your church. It's just kind of like life, isn't it? You go, right, one day you'll catch it. Love you lot, but you're not helping. Tell your face Jesus is alive. So I look at my congregation. I am so grateful for the ones at the front who actually don't mind looking like a big Egypt. Because I actually know that that level of enthusiasm is, is surprisingly catching. It's surprisingly catching. It really is. And, you know, um, I understand that some of you, it's a miracle you're even here. So I don't want to make those of you feel bad because sometimes just coming into church requires a well done, good and faithful servant. But most of you don't have that excuse. So it is this sense of, I have got to get my hand on my own heart and say anything that is stone, anything that is cynicism, anything that is sarcasm, anything that says, oh, look at those dafties at the front, it must come off and it must go, thank goodness they are going ahead. Thank goodness, thank goodness, they have no idea how to dance because I'll not look so bad. True. That's not being rude. That's just, you know, truth. God loves it all. I can only do the two-step and the gay Gordons. That's a Scottish dance in case that doesn't translate. (laughs) 
you got to be careful these days. Okay, right. Where were we? <laughs> Not doing the gay Gordons. So I feel like the Lord is saying, take off your heart of stone and come into combat with God. I will worship my way to a breakthrough. I will not let you go. I will wrestle in the night. I will not turn to the drinks cabinet, but I will turn to my knees and say, God, only you have got what I now need. And this move that God is calling you into will give you a limp. It will be a measure of your success, but it will ensure your continued dependence on him. And literally the entirety of the Old Testament is the story of Israel, whose name means something like wrestled with God and prevails. It's the story of a nation who are allowed to get close as a whole people to get what only he can give and God welcomes you to the individual wrestling and he welcomes you to the corporate wrestling and he says step in and wrestle and now is the time to say invitation accepted. Now, before I tell you about something else, let me illustrate this. I tell this cautiously because I really don't want you to misuse it, but sometimes family illustrations are the best. I've not actually told this story anywhere in the British Isles. And um, it's about my family. So my mum, she died mm, uh, about seven and a half years ago, very painfully, um, of pancreatic cancer. Treatment just could not keep up with the deterioration of the disease. And she went into hospital in September with backache and never came out very uh, fast. But just a few weeks before, she and I were in the underbuild of our, uh, the basement unit of our old house. And I'd been storing some photographs and she and I had a mother-daughter moment where she's found all of the black and white photographs. She must have been late uh, teens, early 20s. And growing up in the Troubles in Northern Ireland, mini skirts that were indecent, you know, and a bubble car where the roof lifted off. Do you remember those? And she was going, she'd just find faith and she played the guitar and she was going around the pubs and clubs in Belfast um, leading people to faith and singing, you know, gospel songs. And she met my dad at Bible college and they married and, and, and pastored this the Irish Baptist churches for decades, decades. And um, she's weeping on me and she says this, I forgot what potential I had. And she can hardly breathe. And I'm saying to her, but look, you've got four children. You've got this amazing, she wrote books. She wrote uh, for Christian magazines, Christianity Today. She wrote for Evangelicals Now. She did Thought for the Day on Radio 4. She did Thought for the Day on Radio Ulster. She was a significantly known, credible broadcaster and author. 
So this was not some kind of lightweight woman. And I said to her, well, what do you mean? Because look at the years of Christian leadership. She said, I knew there was more in me, but I stopped wrestling God for it. And she said this, I thought that the right thing to do was to play the pastor's wife game. I thought it was to do the flowers, lead the children, sing the twee sweet song at Easter. She said, I thought if I sat back, it was holy. So she moved from Spain. They pastored an international Baptist church out in Spain as their last 10 years after the IRA blew up my dad's church. So they went to Spain. And I said, oh, when you retire, can you come and work for me? And she came in the spring and we had one summer. And in that summer, she discovered that she was a prophet. She always had been, but she didn't know. And I took her down to David's tent And uh, she had bodies curled up in fetal positions around her as far as the eye could see. I'm like, where did you come from? (laughs) And she's, and the spirit of the Lord, she never prophesied a day in her life. And the spirit of the Lord, and my wee, you know, assistant Sam is there and a couple of the others. And we're like, what? This woman is on fire. She's more anointed than we are. And so we're stepping over the sobbing bodies. And she's, it was the only day she ever prophesied in her life. And then she died. And in all of that, There is this sense that the culture, the church expectation of Baptist nonsense had come round about her and had robbed the heart of wrestling determination. Because to wrestle in a determined way was not seen as acceptable or proper in the house of God. To not say, there is more and I know it. Was as you know in Baptist circles, not de rigueur. So my father now lives with us. Him and his seven to 10,000 theology books. Right, I'm fifth generation preacher. Some of them are my grandfathers. Um, from the days of, we talked about Martin Lloyd-Jones, many of his stuff, bits and pieces. My dad is now mid-70s. My, and he sit, he's sitting and he said this, Emma, I've had to write a list of all the things I thought God said I would do with my life that I now realize will never happen. And he's writing them down, and he said he spent months on this, and he walks around my house every day reading the Bible out loud, because that's what he does for hours. Like, I'm like, what is that noise? And it's my dad behind the rhododendron bush shouting bits of Job to the plants. I Fine, just let him get on with it. So anyway, 
So, seriously, this is what he does. So, um, and the dog follows around behind him. She seems to like the public reading of scripture. Anyway, so he's got this list and he's got a list of things that were just nonsense. He should never have had them on his list. They were never things God said. We all have that. We all have some notions that are, are, are fanciful nonsense, yes? You know, as much as I would like to be an opera singer, I really have to write that down as not possible, okay? So you will have that. But more seriously, he is a list where there was demonic oppression and he did nothing about it. And then there's another list of things that like my mum, seven, eight years earlier, he's saying similar things. I will have to let these go. I didn't stand my ground and fight and wrestle like I should for what I knew God wanted to do in that season. And how many of you can testify to being quite like my parents, thinking if I wait it out, or if I sit only in receptivity position, or if I just give a little bit more, or if I just rest a little bit more, surely the general trajectory of the teaching that follow, that is leading us, oh, you know, God just loves you all the time. My dad has a whole sermon on the fact that the God, love of God is not um, unconditional. That's a whole carry on right there. Woohoo! Ask him to preach that one. Uh, it's too controversial for me. What about, seriously, what about Psalm 711 that says that God is angry every day? Come on. Maybe this nature of God that you think is so sweet and demure and actually will put up with your bone idle laziness, non contention, and then blaming everybody else for the things that are not happening. And he's saying, Why aren't you wrestling? with me for what you know only I have got. (sighs) Before I change gear, can we just stand and respond to that portion? I don't want that lost. I don't want that lost. You see, I can prophesy all the great words about glory and and blood and green and whatever. And they're absolutely true. But I'm a liar if I tell you that drops in your hand. That it does not require something of substance where you're not tossed around by every wind of change. So right now, we say yes to the wrestle. Right now, we say yes to saying not on my watch. We say yes to being the people who say, God, in my lifetime, in my land, with my people, with my family, there will be household salvation. There will be the demonstrations of the kingdom. There will be a justice system in this land that is right. There will be the closing of the Freemasons.
stationary houses. There will be the pulling down of the structures of Sharia law that are under the ground in the nation. There will not be on my watch a bride who does not wrestle. So I lose to you that warrior determination and I wake it up in the midst of you that you learn from the stories of your history and the stories of my forebearers that right now in Jesus name you will not have the same lists to write in your 70s but you will be ticking boxes because a sheer determination and urgency came upon you and right now you set your face like like Flint and you say that is who I will become have a seat um this is a sober vision, and, uh, but I, I don't think I can't not tell you. Um, I had the core leadership of the British House Council of Prophets in my living room. Uh, Phil Sanderson, Simon Breaker, Adele Richards, um, Louise Reed and myself. And uh, we were just in, in prayer and worship um, uh, maybe four weeks ago. Uh, maybe less, hard to remember, but recently. And sometimes the synergy of those shared prophetic mantles just slice open something in the heavens. In other words, you need to be in the room. And you need to, whenever Trevor or Sharon or Anna or Ryan do um, training schools, you have to be in the room because you only catch something in proximity to the mantle that somebody else carries. So we are sharing each other's quite considerable abilities to see and hear in the spirit realm. And I'm aware of their voices prophesying Simon's turning over tables somewhere with decree, as he does. And I'm aware that he's doing that. He's glorious. And um, suddenly, I'm in the most terrifying vision I have ever, ever had. That for days after, all I could do was sit my hand on the Bible, and I couldn't even bear to read the story that God pulled me into in the spirit because it was just so overwhelming. And I was standing in a vision immediately in a building and its foundations were squint. They were at the wrong angle. And so everybody had adjusted their stance, their walking positions to misfunctioning, misaligned foundations their entire lives. Water didn't flow the right way. And I watched the foundations, the shape of the foundations bleed up people's bodies and tattoo them. And the building we were in was a ziggurat pyramid, triangle, pyramid shape. And we were all tattooed with ugly triangles all over our bodies, the same shape on our frame as the ziggurat pyramid triangle that we were in. 
And the Lord spoke and he said this, you are all inside a new tar of Babel, like the original, you have spent hundreds of years perfecting its form. You, the Western church, are in a Babylonian captivity of your own agreement, built by your own hand. And then I felt sick. And I opened the Genesis scriptures 9 and 10, the table of nations, and then the Tower of Babel story. And as I said, I just I, I hugged it and held the story, hoping that God, this was not true. I realized we were quite high up. We'd built a long way. And some things actually look quite good, especially the floors between the levels. And I'm thinking, oh, look, that's built with a heart that longs for God. That's built with a a hand that's stretching up to where he is. Surely there's right desire somewhere in that. And the Lord says this, this has been built Without the leadership of my spirit, the Western church is built without the leadership of my spirit and without the baptism of fire. So the direction of travel has never once been glory to glory. And suddenly I heard the voice of God calling out the window and I ran to the window and I'm looking down, not up. And God is standing on the earth below. And he says this, am I not the God who can be found? Am I not the God who made his dwelling place with man? And then the spirit started to call, am I not the indwelling spirit already in the midst of you? And then the son cried, are you not those who have already put me on, clothed in Christ? And the Trinity roared. And it was like the sound of a tidal tsunami. And they wailed, you cast us out and you cast us up into a level of heaven we never told you we lived in you spent years building in the wrong direction you made us hard to find and we never once called ourselves the distant godhead and then I realized that I'm standing on a Turkish rug on the 10th floor and I say to Phil Sanderson what does Turkey mean in the Bible Good to have another intelligent prophet in the room. And we start to discuss how Turkey was the first place that the gospel went after the day of Pentecost. It goes up that direction. And that what Turkey stands for in Constantinople starts to stand for the entire Western church and 10 being the number of law. And I suddenly realize that the entire Western church's foundations are more about law than spirit, more about control than freedom, more about behavior than the gifts of the spirit, and more about empire and my nation than about the kingdom. And this reality is starting to make me really uncomfortable and I am still standing in the tower one eye on the other prophets one eye in the vision between the realms and all I want is not to be there 
And I'm saying to the Lord, at what point did Western evangelicalism partner, partner with Babel? And God says, at its beginning. And so Simon repicks up his prophetic word that this is not about a day of a reset, but a day to utterly replace what we have created. It's a day of bravery to become. It's a day of shift from our current practices into actually real transformation. It's a day to wrestle, to become people of weight and substance. And the Revelation 18 cry has gone out like it did in the days of the Revelator John. You know, come out of Babylon so that you will not share in her sins. And so I don't believe anymore that we're in the great reformation of the church. I believe we're in the great destruction and disorientation of every man-made structure. And we're in an exiting and a rebuilding season rather than a reformation season. This is huge. Now, I remember Dr. Sharon Stone and I, we had a very similar word mm, a good number of years ago now, and we, we, you probably heard us, that we were prophesying, and a number of the other prophets kind of caught essences of it, but there was this sense of a grace time peer, uh, poured out that was saying to some churches, and it's not necessarily about denominations or age, but God was saying to some churches, you've got this window to update You've got this window to shift how you do things. Do you remember those kind of words? They felt actually quite kind. And there was this sense of, you know, I think the phrase was update before I evacuate, before I walk out, before you're Ichabod. So we heard, who heard those kind of like calls over the body of Christ? And then maybe about five years ago, you heard the language of the prophets suddenly get a little bit more ferocious, where it was, a time is short. Now, you start to get the beginnings of the words of the church split type themes, yes? Um, you got a just fast speed urgency. Why? Because those initial words a full decade ago, minimally a full decade ago, had not been listened to. And so now the prophets are very definitely beyond that. And it's not that suddenly I'm turning up to be nasty or harsh, but I'm telling you that we are now in the business end of decades worth of words where God is saying, I just won't bless what you have that is man-made. I just won't do it. Now, what that requires is a level of bravery on you and I to come back down the stairs from where we are and to start to be repulsed at anything that we've got that might be a man-made tradition of comfort, where God says, you've got to end your love of cheap nostalgia. 
If I say to you, pluck out your eyes so it doesn't cause you to sin, or if Jesus says, who, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Or if Jesus says, let the dead bury themselves, you have therefore no excuse, not even the death of a relative is hard. I mean, that's Jesus' words, not mine. I'm just quoting him. You have now no excuse left to say, oh, we'll just hang around a little bit more in the way that it was. I remember being being in a very significant, um, not that long ago, um, leaders meeting uh, in somewhere in England. I'll not tell you where, but those of the night to see will know. And uh, there were thousands of leaders in this auditorium. And I'm standing beside David at the front and I'm in the natural, just looking at the people. Lovely. And then I immediately go into the spirit and then I see what I never thought I would see. In that, about 75% of those who are perceived to be cutting-edge church leaders had LGBTQ plus rainbows to different sizes embedded in their hearts in the spirit. Some was full-blown. Some was just a little. And they... David is very kind. My husband, he saw my face and uh, I'm so, so facially expressive. And so he moves around because there's cameras and now I'm pulling faces like I want to vomit at most of the Christian leaders. So he's like worshipping, leaning over me to protect my facial expression from the camera because he's nice like that. And I just think I need to talk to the leaders. And I t- talk to them privately about it because it's a private kind of conversation. But in all of that, the building of the man-made, the building of the man-made value system is more endemic than we think it is. Even in our cutting edge leaders. And this Babel Babylon thing is about arrogant self-sufficiency. It's about Revelation 18.7 where it said of Babylon, she will not mourn. In other words, it's about this emotional shutdown. Now I've already pushed you on that. But I'm going to say again, if you struggle for empathy, if you struggle for sympathy, if you struggle with shutdown emotions, that is from Revelation 18, a Babylonian tendency. Babylon thinks about itself. It's a movement of narcissism. It's always on the hunt for potential competitors. That's how you know we've got Babylon because we've got churches that hate each other and see each other as a threat. Rather than saying, if that church down the road breaks through, then I'm more likely to break through in my church because somebody's pierced something open. Thank goodness they're doing so well. Babylonian leadership will always reek of dominance and territorialism. And so there is this place of self-interested freedom. And we've got to be honest that we talk about who the sun sets free is free indeed. But there is self-interested freedom that is different from Holy Spirit freedom. And I think we're more in self-interested freedom than we are in Holy Spirit freedom. So intolerant. 
And the Lord says this, I'm gonna give you five things that you can do. He says, one, can you start broadcasting? Can you start dialogues of honesty? Can you tell the stories of what is going on and what is going wrong? Will you take ownership of the position and rather than play in the shallow waters, will you own your self-sufficiency, self-interested freedom and intolerance? Now here's the deal. I'm working with a leader in the nations. You'll know his name. We were talking about him over lunch. It's not the point. And he is working on training 300 significant YouTubers, conservative, semi-Christian YouTubers, because he's only semi-Christian himself. Not the point. But he's training them to tell the story of our age. And they individually have more followers than Fox News individually. They individually have more followers than CNN or even watchers than Sky has in a single day. If you think the place to tell a story is any of the main media outlets, you are very deceived. My children are all getting their news on TikTok. Jesus of mercy. And so the strategists and the solutionaries in our midst are learning that if you are not on YouTube, you cannot shape culture. If you will not train yourselves in public discussions of truth, how will you reset the kingdom culture on the earth? If you will refuse to broadcast, you will not change your nation. It is as serious as that. And so the Lord is releasing broadcast, literal broadcasting mantles into his people right now from the teeny boppers like my children who are 15 and 17 and my daughter who's 21 over in Edinburgh doing a journalism degree. Why is she doing a journalism degree? Who knows? But suddenly I might have caught this odd subject choice that she went after because something in her of the Spirit of God understands that she must be trained for broadcasting and communication and for truth-telling on airwaves and that it must come from that sort of age and an intergenerational approach to dialogues about what works and what doesn't work. Oh, people, it is not about this anymore or this. I'm going to release broadcasting anointings in a minute. Woo the second thing is you're going to have to get reacclimatized to the spirit. You are going to have to get spirit-led and start to say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to let you drive me. You drove Jesus. You didn't just lead him like a gentleman. The Word of God says you drove Jesus. So you can now start to drive me, Holy Spirit, because I need Holy Spirit acclimatization. 
three, you and I are going to have to work on some long-term de-incarceration. We are going to have to get hold of each other's heads and deliver each other of the demons of tradition. Come on. You're actually, you have indwelling demons of tradition. And if you think you don't, you are partnering also with the lying spirit. You will have demons of tradition. You will have demons of the love of the man made. And we know because we haven't made Jesus Christ our home and we're not comfortable with him, so we're comfortable with our traditions. And the Lord says, it is the day of the mass de-incarceration of the body of Christ and to acknowledge that I am in a prison I have not seen. Four. You are going to have to minister to each other in what will look like challenging emotions. The Lord talked about PTSD style emotions that are associated with demotion because we are going to have to say, I'm coming down the stairs. I want nothing to do with this. So what I'm saying to people is this. If you're at a church and they need help, You have to say this, God, have you given me a bridging, transitioning anointing to help move them? If you have, I take it, I stay where I am, and I love them into change. Ask for that. If God does, he says, no, there is no, you're just their irritation. It's too far gone. You were rude in the previous season. You were critical. You burnt your bridges. You have no transition anointing left. And God is saying that to some of you because you didn't behave that well. He's saying, look to you, there's freedom now to leave before you become even more of a greater irritation. You have to now know what the mantle is. Oh, I'm really straight talking, aren't I? Okay. So we're going to have to work with the emotions of of what will feel like demotion and be kind to each other after we've grabbed each other's heads. And then the Lord says, in this building season, you're going to build... Not up in that ziggurat pyramid triangle, but you're going to build out and round. And I feel like the verse uh, is Habakkuk 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the aim for the trailblazers now is that they start to move out in this identity of England that we talked about earlier, of being sent, missional, zealous, holy, humble people who are able to go out and bring the glory of God round the earth rather than the gathering. And the Lord says, beware the false apostolic hubs who are more about gathering than sending. Massive. Who? And so God is, I think, shaking us all in that the prophet's job is to perhaps, well, definitely, to say something so extreme. And what I said is extreme. I totally understand that. But it said with great love and affection, it's totally extreme. Why does God speak to the prophets in extremes, in polemics? God never says, well, you know, 
Woe to you, Jesus and say, Woe to you, you scribe and Pharisees, except the few that I like, like Nicodemus. He doesn't. He doesn't say, you know, um, uh, uh, the prophets don't say, Woe to the nation, except my family who are doing okay. They speak in these polemic, these broad brush stroke ways. Why? Is that because they lack the intelligence to be more specific? No. We're well educated. It's because I think God does catch all things where he says, you are all in a Tower of Babel, so that you have no option but to say, is that right? If I give you a get out of jail card, well, except for you, except for Nicodemus, except, well, actually I wasn't going to say Jeremiah's family, but they weren't a lot of good, except for my family, except for the one I like. You and I don't, we go, that's a nice sermon, but it doesn't apply. So the prophet comes in with this great beast of a sword and says, we're all in Babel. What does that make you do? I have to weigh that word because that sounded like it included me. Yuck buckets to the prophet. Can we go back to the prophets who said, you're going to break through, you're going to advance, you're going to be rich. I see promotion all over you and said nothing else. Do you want to go back to those kind of prophets? Good. Not all of you, not all of you were that convinced. (laughs) But the Lord says this, I say this because it is time to fulfill your potential in extending the kingdom of God. It is time for new beginnings. It is time for the new movements. It is time for the green fresh shoots and the green mantles. It is time to establish the new. It is time to speak in a new way, lead in a new way, hold new roles, speak with new authority. And as I said at the beginning, which seems like a long time ago, it is the beginning season where you bring into existence something that before was only a thought, a prophetic word, or an intention. Begin the movement. Begin godly traditions. Begin construction. Begin fresh covenants. Bring into being that which you have read in my book, but was never a manifest reality. Grab hold of the starting capabilities and run for your lives from internally agreeing with or backing anything, says the Lord, that you have poured into, but you now see is not a spirit-led organization. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.